Walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away, walk away. What's that song from? I Will Follow. What song is that from? Band called Udur. You know, U2, U2. Speaking of bands. Nice seg. You're getting so good at the segues, I've noticed. Let me just try to throw you off a little bit. Magnetized tape. Uh, speaking of taping bands, <laughs> I've been really getting into Miley Cyrus lately, and I don't know why. Like, literally... I wake up and I have a Miley Cyrus song in my head, which on the one hand strikes me as the most repulsive thing possible, and yet I like these songs. Like, she's got a good voice and they're well-produced. All right, a couple things. Do you ever find yourself liking Miley Cyrus? Uh, I don't. I went through a period where when one of my kids was watching a lot of Hannah and we listened to Miley, and I liked Miley fine, but why do you think, why do you you have this instinct to call that your liking of her repulsive? Because people will think that, how old are you, James? I don't know. How old are you, James? um, 47. Are you worried that a 47-year-old man listening to Miley Cyrus just implies Lolita-ism? No, because I like other young, I mean, I in general like young female voices, you know, singing, but there's something about, like, Miley Cyrus, like, it seems like she's so culturally hated by mm. my generation that for me to actually like her music feels like almost like a I'm being rebellious against my generation but yet she's her songs are well produced I I like them Can you sing one? I can't. No, they're they're it's almost all the production. Did this like of Miley Cyrus come in part from your daughters? It could be that when she was Hannah Montana like she was a child TV star for a while and now she's a complete opposite like music star, like the whole themes and messages and everything are totally different. So it could be there's some dissonance there. I wonder, I wonder, James, if maybe, so you love comic books. Yes. And you love comic book mythology and like the origin stories of all these guys, yeah. right? You love, you love Star, which one is it, Wars? Star- <laughs> I only say, I only pretend I'm confused because I know that pisses you off between Star Wars. How come, uh, wait, I, I got, wait, do you I'm, like Star Trek or Star Wars? No. <laughs> That's I don't what, even like stars that much. That's a little odd. Yeah, yeah. But here's my question for you. Do you think that, you know, the Miley Cyrus thing, it was all a show about double identity, right? She played a character who yes. was a superstar. That's true, and she had a secret identity. She had a secret identity. Do you think that maybe sublimated, that, that you kind of took that in and thought, you know, there's something about her that has an appeal to me maybe. because I love the double, the secret identity Maybe, but I actually just like the music. I didn't know it was her, and someone said, and I said, "This is really good. What is it?" And someone said, "Oh, that's Miley Cyrus." And what was your initial response? Like, I, yuck! I, I shouldn't ha- yeah, be allowed to like yeah, her. Yeah, I had a gag reflex. I like, oh, <laughs> oh my god, I like Miley Cyrus. So that's like telling me I like Britney Spears or something. So what would be wrong with liking Britney Spears? Just for instance. Well, I think there's a case since I've never did like her. I think there's a case for someone with no talent but re- very good showmanship. Uh, she has Rose- less talent than you, you'd say. Uh, no, she has more talent than me. But so I'm how not, can that be? No, do you have negative talent? I have negative talent when it comes to being a world famous female pop star. Let me ask you a broader question based on your question of the day. Uh, name another thing or two that you like a lot, but that you feel society compels you to pretend you don't like so much. And more broadly, do you think that's a problem that people get so? kind of locked into what their cohort or friends or whatever is expected to think is like, okay. If it's on, I will watch The Real Housewives of Atlanta. Okay. <laughs> so 
I think that's one where society would frown on it. And I, in general, I don't watch TV at all. But if that happens to be on, I might watch it are for there a little people, while. Are there people who are considered kind of buffoons or villains in society or in politics or in business that you think, you know, I, I know that it's like every all the smart people, all the cool people say like, you know, whatever, Donald Trump, ha, ha, ha what a joke. Well, but I, I, don't, I don't vote and I don't like any politician at all. Mm-hmm. So I have, I, last time I voted was in 1991. Who'd you vote for? That was an off election year, Yes, wasn't it? but there was a um, special election mm-hmm. um, and it was Harris Wofford for senator in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. versus Dick Thornburg. Why'd you vote for Harry? At the time, I was just kind of, you know, I was young and I was just voting always blue on everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now I'm now I don't care about it. I I don't care about any color. You haven't voted for anything since 1991. I haven't voted for anything. All right. So and you know, people say people say, oh, you know, if if you don't vote, how can you expect to change things? Do you know of anybody who voted and actually changed something because of their vote? If Except vote- for John Quincy Adams in um, what is it, the 1820 presidential election? I think it was or 1824. Yeah, you know, we've written about the kind of, I don't know what the right word, because I don't, I don't ever want to discourage anyone from voting. Why? It's a waste of time, and you get nothing accomplished, okay, so why let, wouldn't you want to discourage them? Let me take that back. I have discouraged people from voting. We've written, <laughs> uh-huh. we've written you know, I think we wrote a Times column once called Why Vote, and the, arg- the argument is... You totally is, discourage people from voting. You're right, you're right. <laughs> uh, I'm going back. So, I don't, but I'm not, I'm not fully comfortable, because it's the same way that I'm not fully comfortable saying to everybody, like, you know what? You should become an atheist because religion doesn't do X, Y, and Z. You know why? Because I feel like if people feel like their practices, whether it's voting or religious practices or whatever it is, you know, I really believe in the freedom to choose what makes you happy, prosperous, feel part of a group, et cetera, as long as it's not hurting other people. And that's always the kind of line that you have to define. Um, But that doesn't mean I can't have opinions even opinions informed by data on the actual efficacy of a said thing. And in the case of voting this said thing, it's very easy to make the argument that one person's vote is essentially meaningless or worse than meaningless. It's costly because, like you said, you do have to take the time and effort to do it. Now, when you say that in certain circles, people look at you like you just pounded a baby seal. It's It's a a sin sin in the American religion. Don't miss the rest of our attempt to answer this question of the day. James and I will be right back after this very short message. I'm going to get serious on this. Every day is an important day to take control of your financial future. There's a saying, there are three skills. Making money, keeping money, growing money. And keeping it and growing it, people take for granted. But that's where a service like Betterment comes in. Betterment, America's largest automated investing service, the company managing billions of dollars for people just like you would like to help you do that. Betterment costs less than traditional financial services and uses smarter technology that automates your investing. This helps you make better financial decisions, and since your Betterment account invests with your personal goals in mind, you'll have added peace of mind, which is so very important when it comes to money, which is the cause of so much stress in life. It's easy to start investing with them right away by linking your bank account or rolling over your 401k or IRA. Remember, it's never too late to save for retirement, the trip around the world you always wanted to take, or any of your other long-term personal goals. And Betterment has changed the industry by making investing easier and at a lower cost. Get up to six months of automated investing free and more information when you go to betterment.com question. That's betterment.com question. 
Betterment, investing made better. Like the idea is where this pseudo-democracy, which is obviously not true, we're, we're a republic, but nobody seems to take notice of the difference. And so we're supposed to vote if we want to affect change. If you're unhappy about something, you're supposed to vote. And people actually do get angry if you don't. Right, and there are many iterations of it. Like, you don't deserve to complain about our politicians if you don't vote, which right. I think is a little bit. So that's like saying you don't get to complain about your computer being slow if you didn't design the chip. But take right, like, Bad analogy. Take, but, take like New York State. If you I'd love to <laughs> and secede, and I think we'd be an awesome country. It probably would, but if, well, with, with like maybe Bloomberg as the president of the New York State country. I think he could actually win that because yeah. he can't win a real president. So this is a state where no matter who you vote for president, it's always going to be the Democratic Party wins. Now, sometimes I like that, sometimes I don't, but it's always the case. So your vote really doesn't matter And the here. irony, the greatest irony, is that the bigger the election is, which means the more important it is, theoretically, to most people, the less likely, obviously, any one vote is to influence it, right? If you're voting for a school board election where there are, you know, 200 votes or 100 votes, then one vote might actually count really towards something. The other irony is that the bigger and more important the election is, the more likely it is to be decided ultimately by a court if it's very close. In other words, when big, important elections, as we've seen in recent history, as they get, uh, if they're really close, then you count the ballots, but at a certain point, there's a judge or series of judges who step in and say, okay, we're going to sort this out now. And so, again, irony of ironies. And then, here's another argument people say, oh, if everybody listened to your advice, then then civilization would collapse. Don't you hate that argument? Say it again, like, if everybody listened if, to my advice? If everyone listened to your advice, let's say about voting, then civilization would collapse. Like, that's always a standard argument also. And I hate that argument because, no, not, not most people aren't going to listen to, to me saying don't vote. Like, why would anybody listen to me saying that? I so, also don't see the evidence that... That, that civilization would collapse. That would happen, yeah. Right, yeah. but people say that. You know, let me make, okay, here's a, the strongest argument I can make against voting, which somehow I didn't mean to have the conversation go this way, but now that it has, one could argue that the opportunity cost of voting is really high, not so much of voting, but like electoral politics. So like we happen to be talking now many, many, many months before the general presidential election in November, and... Now, this morning, I actually had this very thought this morning while listening to the news on NPR, whose news I generally like pretty much. They're talking about nothing but the presidential campaign on the first beginning of the news hour. Uh, the same was true three months ago and six months ago. And every time I hear a conversation about Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Marco Rubio or Bernie Sanders and the, and the bits and pieces having to do with not only the governing but the horse race, I think— that minute that I just learned nothing other than that some political reporter is on the bus riding around with the candidate and telling me what they've said for the past five days, whereas if somebody spent a minute telling me something I didn't know that I might actually learn from, I'd probably be a much better citizen than the, quote, informed citizen that follows the electoral race, which I think is a huge waste of time. And I think that one of the reasons that the truism exists, that politics are so important and that elections are so important, et cetera, et cetera, is because journalism profits greatly from it. Elections are great. Of course. It's not just for the editorial coverage, but TV. For the advertising. It's massive, massive. Not so much for newspapers, but for local TV, especially and for national TV. Well, even. guess how much it costs to win the presidency? I'm going to say $1.89. Seriously. 
How much it costs? Well, what do you mean by that? How much did Barack Obama spend to oh. win in 2008? Uh, that was the first Obama? Uh, I have no idea. I'll say $284 million. No, over a billion. Really? And then probably another billion from other special just interest think, groups and things just, like that. Just think of how many comedy clubs you and I could open. We could open the greatest chain of comedy clubs ever for that. And or, we could make so many people laugh that they wouldn't even need a president. Wait, I think better. Why don't you have like the Freakonomics party and you run for president? And we just have to raise a, a billion in like in a Kickstarter campaign. That's it? It's, yeah. That's all it takes these days just is a, a billion dollars? Just do a Kickstarter campaign, raise a billion, and and you do the... Wasn't there the Freak Party back in 1968? Do the Freakonomics Party. Take it one step further. Are you willing to do the work? You'll set it up. I'll be your vice president, Mr. Commander. This is Stephen Dubner, and I nominally... Approve this message. Approve this message. We've received word that there are still questions at large. Find out which one we're taking down next time, right after this. Hi, I'm Devin Faraci. And I'm Amy Nicholson. Hey, Devin, what makes a film worthy of being called one of the all-time greats? Well, I guess you could consider artistic merit or cultural importance or whether the main character is a blonde, if we're talking to you. Or maybe a bearded Italian guy. I mean, don't make this about me. Well, on every single episode of our show, The Canon, we discuss, debate, argue, and sometimes harmoniously agree on which films deserve to be in the canon. We debate, but we leave it up to you, the listener, to decide which films make it in. So check out The Canon with new episodes every Monday. Listen on Wolf Pop, Howl, or your favorite podcast app. Next time on Question of the Day. We recently held our first Question of the Day live event. We did stand-up comedy. For me, it was the first time ever. I think for you, it was the first time ever. Definitely. And it was a lot of fun. But here's my question for you. How would you assess this new experience? Really, what I want to know is, what do you think you learned? 